I think sometimes when we, we come to Scripture, um, I, I know this to be true in my own, my own life. Sometimes I come to Scripture, and I'm just, I'm so flippant with it at times. I just kind of open it and like, oh, what am I going to read today? And then I just kind of get into it, and I'm like, yep, that's awesome. And I just kind of move on. Um, I had a friend in seminary. Whenever he, he would hand a Bible to somebody, you know, we'd have professors, and I'd go, hey, can I, can I see your Bible real quick? And he'd go, be careful, it's sharp. Because the Bible says that it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And he, I mean, he's kind of joking, but it really started to make me think about how intense this is. I think sometimes we come on a Sunday and we, we think, oh man, this is just, this is just the teaching time. Let's not, let's not worry about it. But this is, this is a holy thing that we're about to do. This is a holy thing that we get to do, that we get, that we have God's word, the word that grabbed a hold of nothing and created everything. We get to open it, we get to read it, we get to study it, we get to teach it, we get to learn it. And so before we do anything else this morning, I just want to pray, um, because I don't want to just get up here and, and entertain you. Um, I, I want to... I want to treat this with respect. I want to treat this carefully. And I want to acknowledge that we are in the presence of God. Um, so would you pray with me? God, you are so, so good to us. Just thank you for your presence, that we get to be part of your family, that we are undeserving adopted children in your kingdom. God, help us to remove any thoughts that this is just a book, any notion that this is just a lecture. But God, would we open up our hearts to you, to your spirit. God, would you come into this place and remove any of my words and, and put them in the basket, and would you just use your words this morning? God, would you remove any of my desires and just put your will in me this morning? God, I don't want to I don't want to be doing this because it's fun. I, I don't want to be doing this because it makes me look good. I, I want to be doing this because it brings you glory, brings you honor, and it brings you praise. So God, would you just make that happen this morning as we step into your word? We ask this all in your son's name. Amen. All right, let's jump in to Jonah chapter 3, and uh, we're going to be cutting it kind of in two, um, and we're going to be going through the first five verses, and then about halfway through, uh, we're going to pick up 6 through 11. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and follow along, or if you don't, um, that is fine. We got it up on the screen. So Jonah chapter 3, starting at verse 1. This might be a different translation for you. This is the ESV. 
Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began going into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least of them. So finally we get to see Jonah be obedient to God. So Jonah's got the word of the Lord, and then he's disobedient, and he gets it a second time. Um, One of my biggest prayers is that when I get it, I'm obedient immediately, because, I mean, God put Jonah in a whale, and I don't know what he's going to do to me um, if I'm disobedient. Um, So Jonah gets the word a second time, and then the great Nineveh revival happens. I think we could pretty easily just kind of gloss over Jonah's heart this morning and, and just go, wow, man, God did something amazing. He, he performed the great Nineveh revival, and I don't know if that's a real term, but I've been using that a lot in my own study, uh, the great Nineveh revival, and we could, really, we could really miss what I think is huge in this, this passage this morning, that Jonah's heartbeat, even though he's obedient, And we know from chapters 1 through 2, Jonah's heartbeat is not beating in tune with God's. Even though he's, he's like, gets it the second time, he's all covered in whale nasty, and he gets up and he starts walking, and and he calls out, I mean, his heart is not beating with God's at all. And I think a lot of times that that could be our relationship with God or our relationship with God's people, God's church. I like to call this um, being reluctantly obedient to Yahweh, which comes out into R-O-W, Roy. So don't be a Roy. Um, If anybody's name's Roy, I'm really sorry. Um, But I like acronyms. But a lot of us can approach God, our relationship with God, with a Roy heart, a reluctantly obedient heart. And, And maybe for some of us, we, we grew up in the church. We're kind of like Jonah. Like, we, we know the word of God. We've got it. Like, if we were to have, like, a competition right now of, like, hey, who can get to um, Habakkuk 1-1 the quickest? Like, some of you, like, are already there because you're like, I, I've been drilling this for years. Um, but maybe some of us, we grew up in church, and this is just what we're supposed to do. And so... Our heart isn't really beating with God's. It looks like it is, but uh, it's really not. Uh, It's kind of like a car that has a check engine light on. Um, It looks fine from the outside, but on the inside, you know you need to get it into the shop. Um, That's preaching to me right there. Um, Or maybe, maybe when you first came to Christ, you had that fire. You had that first love. I remember when I first came to Christ, um, I, I would annoy my Christian friends uh, with just my ridiculous joy and excitement over reading Scripture. Because um, if you don't grow up in the church and you read the Bible for the first time, um, it's incredible. You're seeing it with new eyes. And so I would, I would go off and have devotional time. And I would have devotional time in the business building. I don't know why. Um, 
but I would go off and have devotional time, and I'd come back to my dorm room. I'm like, Jake, did you know that God split the Red Sea and the Israelites walked through it on dry land? And he's like, yeah, yeah. And then another time I'd come back and be like, Jake, did you know not only did God split the sea, but there was a different time when Jesus actually walked on the water. That's amazing. And he's like playing video games like, yeah, I know, I know. And I'm like, no, you, come on. I was like, is anybody telling anybody this? Maybe that was you like when you first came to Christ. And then, heck, it might even have been the church that tamped that fire down. It might even have been the church. And now it seems like every opportunity to share the gospel, every opportunity to serve the Lord is an inconvenience. Is an inconvenience. So what are the consequences of a reluctantly obedient heart? See if I can do this as well as Matt. So the first consequence of a reluctantly obedient heart is that it shows a broken world a broken picture of God. Shows a broken world, a broken picture of God. It shows God as unreasonable, as like that unreasonable boss. Um, we were studying uh, with some of Revolution's folks, and we were talking about leadership and, and creating a culture. And I remember Dave just could not get over this one boss that he had at one point that was just totally unreasonable. So when we're reluctantly obedient, we're like, yeah. All right, I'll, I'll, go, I'll go to faith in action, I guess. When we're reluctantly obedient to God, it shows a broken world, a broken picture of God. If we can make God look like a harsh parent, which in turn makes us rebellious teenagers that think we know it all. Or we can make God seem needy. I think that this one is the one that um, breaks my heart the most. We become God rather than undeserving adopted children of God. In Acts 15, or Acts 17, oh, we'll get back to the Acts 17. The second thing, oh, you, you helping me out up there? Sweet. This is nice. All right. The second thing that it does is it's life-draining. Being reluctantly obedient to God is actually life-draining. Something that should give us life being in the presence of God, serving his kingdom, actually becomes life-draining. I don't know, like, there, we could go over so many examples in our own lives where, like, it's life-draining to actually serve somebody. Um, like, working at Hy-Vee Chinese uh, when I was, like, 16, 17. I just remember that was, at times, it was like, this is amazing! And then I'd show up one day and just, like, somebody... It was like somebody peed in my Cheerios that morning, and I was just in a bad mood. And, like, the most, like, the smallest things, you know, I'd have John, he'd come up to me like, Vince, can you chop some onions? And I, and I'd just cry, and, cause, because of the onions, not because I was emotional. But it's life-draining. So let's go ahead and look at some scripture. Oop. Acts 17 Verses 24 through 25. This is, if we, show God, if we show the world a broken image of God, this is Paul talking, and he says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. And then this is the important part right here. It's all important, but this is what I want to focus on. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, 
since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. When we're reluctantly obedient and we, we treat God as if we're doing him a favor, I mean, who wants to serve that God? I, that's not going to win anybody to Christ. If we're reluctantly obedient and we're like, yeah, I, I'm going to... We have friends that ask us, hey, what are you doing on Saturday? And you're like, yeah, I'm serving at this Be You Bravely thing, and I guess, I don't know, teaching some girls about Jesus. Like, if that's your heart, like, man, nobody's coming. At least, I, I mean, I guess I wouldn't be coming because I'm not a teenage girl. But, like, if that's your pitch, nobody's coming. But we serve a God who created everything So God doesn't need us to get his will accomplished. Whether we're joyfully obedient, whether we're reluctantly obedient, whether we're flat out rebellious, he doesn't need us to accomplish his will. I was talking to somebody recently, and they said, well, how reformed are you, like in theology? And if this is a part of this that just like, you're like, I get it. Because when I first was in the church and people were talking theology stuff, I was whoosh. And didn't get it, but that's okay. Some of you will get this because we have a heavy Presbyterian background in here. When I first, when she asked me, she's like, "How reformed are you? Are you four points? Are you five points?" And I was like, "Ah, probably like three and eight tenths, like pretty pretty reformed." And she goes, "Well, do you do you believe in missionaries, like going out to the world, and because God will do it anyway?" I'm like, "I believe in missionaries because God will do it." Like, God will provide victory. He said that he wants people from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. So the victory is assured. Why wouldn't I want to go and enjoy some victory? It's already assured. That doesn't mean we're going to win. We're going to show up in a village and get everybody. But, man, we're going to get some. Because God's already said that he wants everybody, or wants people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation. And when we're reluctantly obedient, we or we're disobedient, we don't even get to be part of that joy. I firmly believe that when I get to heaven, God willing, when I get to heaven, he's going to lay out a lineage of faith, a genealogy of faith, people that I have personally been able to impact with his word. I've personally had a hand in bringing to Christ. And I'm going to get there, and he's going to kind of open the, I, I imagine it's a long hallway, or maybe it's a short hallway, I don't know. Got a lot of life left, hopefully. So he, you know, he opens the door, and I just get to see like a, a whole row of people that I've had a, a chance to impact. Like there are people that you have the opportunity to be in relationship in heaven with because you are obedient to God. You're joyfully obedient. We talk about life draining. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your, as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. There is no partiality. No partiality. It doesn't matter if you show up, on chur- show up to church and you got your Sunday best on and you check, check the boxes. It doesn't matter if you're in the church and you're serving for 30, 40 years. There is no partiality. It, it, no partiality. Everyone's judged the same. And the, the, God's not going to 
come to you when you go six feet under and you open your eyes and you're in the presence of God. God's not going to say, hey, well, how many years did you serve in the nursery? How many years did you serve in youth ministry? How many years did you, did you provide meals for the elderly? He's not going to ask that question. He's going to ask, did your heart beat with mine? Because we can do a lot of things and be unwilling and not be in good relationship. It's kind of like some relationships I've had in the past where um, you, you've probably had these where you're like, you know it's ending, but you got to make it one more week before you can have that conversation. And it's like, you're kind of still serving them, but you're like, yeah, I'm not really feeling this. I'm not serving, I, I, I'm not going to serve you willingly anymore. And it's like that tension that just grows, and then it comes to a point where you just have to say, look, we're not in relationship anymore. It's life draining. This is the one that should terrify all of us. Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does, my, does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I can speak for myself that what keeps me up at night with our children, what keeps me up at night with our congregation isn't your religious activity, isn't your checking the boxes. What keeps me up at night is that some of us, even some of us that are very, very involved, will get to, the, get to heaven, get to the presence of, Lord, of the Lord, and he'll say, I never knew you. My, your heart did not beat with mine. That is terrifying that some of us could go 70 years, 80 years, and get before the Lord and find out that our hearts weren't even beating with God's because we were reluctant in our obedience. Jesus could say, your heart did not beat with mine. We weren't in relationship. That word no, I never knew you. It's like an embrace. That we never embraced. We were never in relationship. Joyful obedience, on the other hand, does the opposite. So we're going to get to those texts real soon. But joyful obedience shows the true God, shows that he's good, shows that he's gracious, shows that he's loving. And joyful obedience is life-giving. So let's go ahead and turn to Isaiah uh, 1.18. This one is not on the screen this is the part where you all embarrass me and get there before me. Isaiah 1, 18 through 20. A lot of you will know this passage, even if you don't know the, the mark, the, you know, where to find it. But you know this. Come now. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be whiter, they should be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. 
But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. There's a truth in there that if we are willing and obedient, there is an inheritance waiting for us. And it's not because, hey, I'm willing and obedient, so therefore God gives it to me. It's not a paycheck. Not a paycheck. Because our willing obedience brings to light our actual relationship with him. It shows that we are actually saved, that we are actually in relationship with him. So let's go ahead and look at Mark chapter 8, verse 35, my favorite gospel. Mark chapter 8, verse 35. Let's start at verse 34. Why not? More scripture is always good. And calling to the crowd, calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospels will save it. To sacrifice your life, to sacrifice your selfishness and joyful obedience to the Lord is to save your life. If, if serving your spouse, serving your kids, serving, serving your parents is always an inconvenience, and I'm, I'm using always specifically because sometimes it is inconvenient. I get that. But if it's always an inconvenience, then you really need to start questioning if you really love them or you love what they provide you. I think that sometimes we approach God that way. It's always an inconvenience when he asks us to do something. It's always an inconvenience when the leadership he's put over us to, to lead us and to shepherd us in him asks us to do something. It's always an inconvenience. We're just here sometimes to just get our golden ticket and go home kind of like a Willy Wonka faith, you know? We're, we're like, uh, you know, we're brats. I can't even remember that song, but it's like we, we get the ticket and we show up and then we prove that we're not even in relationship. We're not even grateful. We're not even part of his kingdom. And so then we get rolled out like giant blueberries out of his kingdom. If it's always an inconvenience, really start to ask yourself, are you really in relationship with God? Are you in a broken relationship with God? It shouldn't be always inconvenient. There are times when serving the Lord is more difficult than others. There are times when serving the Lord is super easy. There are times when serving others is is difficult. There's times when hearing the missional mandate causes us to change and makes us uncomfortable. It's as if God comes to us sometimes through our leadership and through his missional mandate and says, I want to reach more people than 250. I want to reach more people than 250. And so, therefore, two services. I want to reach more people, and I want to waste less money in this community for ministry. Therefore, Merge. Don't waste kingdom resources. And at times we're like, nope, nope. And then we're just, we're more willing to just go somewhere else. 
to not be a part of God's mission, to, to not be obedient. We'll, we want to go to a church that will, will give us scripture, will, will help us pray, will help us read, but goodness gracious, if I have to talk to my neighbor about Jesus, I'm not going to be there. I'm going to go somewhere else, somewhere maybe a little bit smaller, maybe somewhere where they don't challenge me as much to, to be on mission. Joyful obedience shows the true image of God, that he's not satisfied with just a set number of people to come on a Sunday morning or to be in relationship with him or to be uh, a part of the church. He, he always wants the lost. It's not the quantity of our obedience, but it's the quality of our obedience that reveals our relationship with him. It's not the quantity of our obedience, it's the quality. It's kind of like, I know a lot of you in here have, had, have raised kids, and it's, you know, if you have to ask your kid like 17 times to clean their room, and then they finally do it, like they always end up cleaning their room, but you have to ask them 17 times, that's not awesome obedience. But if you have that one kid, and you say, hey, can you go clean your room? And they do it right away, joyfully. They get it done. Man, that's way different. Your relationship is way different with that kid. You still love them both. But man, it, it's a lot easier. It's a lot smoother. The relationship is different. It's not the, the quantity, but the quality of obedience. So... If your heart is out of beat with God, whether that's an active disobedience or an active reluctant obedience, um, we're going to spend the second part of Jonah chapter 3 looking at the king of Nineveh, looking at the people of Nineveh, whose heart did not even, like, they didn't even catch a beat every, like, seven beats. Like, sometimes our hearts can be out of tune with God's, and we'll just, like, randomly get a beat. Like, I remember we walk, uh, it was a weird thing. We had this really long um, walkway at, at Central called Peace, uh, Peace Mall, Peace Street, whatever it was. And sometimes we just like look down. I don't know if you know this, but if you're walking next to somebody, eventually your stride will get like in tune with theirs, like inside foot. Out. You're like three-legged racing and you don't even realize it. Sometimes that's what it is with us with God. Like we're walking kind of with God, but our feet aren't even matched up with his. And every once in a while we'll, we'll hit one. And we'll get it. And we're like, man, that was pretty cool. And then, oh, nope, you lost it. So if that's you this morning, we're going to look at the second half of Jonah 3 and uh, figure out what the king of Nineveh um, does. So before we do that, though, I want to pray again. So would you pray with me? God, your desire for all of our lives is that we would be in beat with you, that we would be in tune with you, that our hearts would be connected, that our hearts would be tender and open to your missional mandate. God, that we would be willing to be uncomfortable for your sake, that we would be willing to sacrifice our selfish desires for your sake because we know that there's lost people that need us to be uncomfortable that there's lost people that need us to go to a city of Nineveh, that there's lost people that we don't like, but they need us to be joyfully obedient and give them the gospel. 
So God, as we come to Jonah six or Jonah three, six through eleven, I just pray that you would bring some conviction to us this morning. That if we've been reluctantly obedient to you, that you would bring that conviction to us and that understanding to us so that we can come back to you, that we can get our hearts in tune with yours so we can be effective, so that we can be on mission. It's in your name we pray, amen. So Jonah 3, verses 6 through 11, the word reaches the king, and now here we go. The word reached the king. Put it on the screen for you guys. Oh, oh, nope. All right, I'm not putting it on the screen for y'all. Um, Jonah 3, verse 6. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes, and he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By decree of the king and his nobles, let their... Or let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. And let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, he turned from their, that they had turned from their evil way. God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring to them, and he did not do it. So repentance. We get repentance here from the king and, and from his people. So we're going to look at, at two markers of true repentance. And I know we've been, Matt and I were talking the other day, like we have been hitting repentance for like the last nine weeks. Um, and we didn't even plan that. So maybe some of you are like, maybe you, some of you are like Jonah. Like you got the word like six weeks ago from God to repent. And you're like, yep, nope, I'm going, to, I'm going somewhere else. And, and then we've just been getting the word again and again and again. And God's like, get your heart in tune with mine. Get your heart in tune with mine. So we're going we're gonna to look at repentance. But before we get to repentance, God speaks. This is how it always works. You know, you don't have a, you, you don't just like, you're not just sitting there and all of a sudden you have this great idea. Like, oh, I'm going to repent today. You know, God's always speaking. God's going to put pressure on you. So God speaks. And we see this in two specific ways. God speaks in a lot of different ways with repentance. But we're going to see it two different ways in Jonah. The first way that God speaks is that he speaks identity over us before it's a reality in us. You might be thinking, well, Vince, what, what, what are you talking about there? God calls Nineveh a great city. And in and, and my footnotes and some of your footnotes in your Bibles, it'll say a great city of God. This is a people that don't know anything about God. And yet God's saying, hey, this is a great city. This is a great city of God. Me, of God. It's not even close to a reality in them. They're not of God, but they were created to be of God. God does this to show us the distance between our reality and between what we were created to be. God speaks identity over us 
before it's a reality in us. God speaks, uh, calls Nineveh a great city in Jonah chapter 1, verse 2, Jonah chapter 3, verse 2, and Jonah chapter 3, verse 3. God does this to create a discomfort in us. I don't know if you've ever had somebody um, kind of speak into your potential, and that can either be like, yes, I want to be that person, or in that conversation, you're like, I am not even close, and you kind of feel like, you feel that distance between who you could be and what you actually are. That's why God speaks identity over us before it's even a reality in us, to feed that discomfort, to create enough discomfort to where we would spring into action. The next way that God speaks in Jonah chapter 3 is he speaks future judgment over us to change our reality. This one is, can be scary. And some of you will be like, well, my God is not a judging God. God will judge all of us with no partiality. But God will speak future judgment over us to change our reality. God sends Jonah, and I mean, they repent, but the, their message from the Lord is not, like, it's not what we have. It's, there's not a ton of grace in it. It's just like, hey, 40 days, this is going away, all of you. It's <clears throat> There's not a ton of, wow, I just lost my voice, y'all. <clears throat> but God will speak future judgment over us to change our reality. It's a grace of God to have a, the ignorance of our sin removed. Sometimes we can think, wow, you're just being mean. You're, you're just saying that I'm doing all these things wrong with God, that, my, that I, you know, you're telling me that I, I shouldn't be doing this and that I shouldn't be doing that, and it's just mean. It's a grace of God to, be, to have the ignorance of our sin removed. Think about, like, shop class. I don't know if we have shop class anymore in schools, but back in the day when we did have shop class, you'd be using a saw, and you're just ignorant of how to use it. And it was a grace uh, for your teacher to tell you how to use the saw so that you didn't lose an arm or lose a finger. That's, how, that's what it is with God. Like God's like, hey, you're going to lose an arm because you're not using the body I've given you the way that it should be used. That's how it is. And he speaks future judgment over us so that we will get our fingers out of the way of the saw and make a clean cut. It's not harsh. God's goal isn't to wound us, but to heal us. He points out our sin to get us to call out for grace. So he speaks identity over us before it's a reality in us, and he speaks future judgment over us to change our reality. So true repentance requires two things. It requires an outward manifestation of an inward reality, an inward spiritual reality. I think a lot of times we could go to we could go to a revival, we could go to a Billy Graham revival, we could go to a conference, we could go to a church service on a Sunday, and we just, like, we just get hammered with the word of God, we get hammered with the grace of God, and we're like, yes, I need to make a change. 
And then we just pray a prayer and we do nothing else with it. We pray the sinner's prayer and then nobody else sees any change in our lives. It requires an outward manifestation of our inward reality. It requires the removal of of one life for another. We see this in verse 6. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne. He left his status. He left his place, his rightful place in that kingdom. Removed his robe. Removed the comfortable. Removed the kingly robe. Covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And you might be thinking, Vince, we don't, we, we don't have sackcloth that we just have, you know, out in the foyer so that when I feel guilty that I can just, you know, strip down and put that puppy on and go home. That would be pretty wild. But it's an outward manifestation of an inward spiritual reality. Sackcloth is an uncomfortable thing to wear. I don't know if you've ever, like, done a potato sack race. But, like, if you're wearing shorts, it's, like, incredibly itchy. Imagine that, like, all over your body. It was to say, hey, something uncomfortable is happening in my soul. And I need to change something in my soul. And so I'm going to wear something uncomfortable. I'm going to put a reminder on the outside so that I'm being obedient to the change that I know I need to make. This is done to show, hey, something's going on in me. A change is occurring. Can't tell you how many times somebody has come to me and been like, Vince, especially like in college or when I was at camp. It was the funniest at camp. It was heartbreaking at camp, but it was the funniest at camp. We'd have this big, like, worship time and then come to the cross. <coughs> Happened a lot at boys' camp. Come to the cross, and I need Jesus. They pray, and then we go outside, and we play Eagle's Nest, which is like capture the flag with four different teams. <clears throat> you know, I need, to, I need to be humble, and I need to, to be before the Lord. And, and then they'd come outside, and we'd play Eagle's Nest, and we'd have, always have kids. Um, and, you know, they'd run in to grab, grab the egg, and they'd get tagged, and they'd be like, no, I didn't. I was not. No, I was safe. And they would just freak out. And they're like, you're against me. And, and it was just like, whoa, man, what happened to the kid in the sanctuary? Like, come on, Rolex. Yeah, I know kids that, whose names are Rolex. And he's like, I'm like, come on, Rolex. Like, are you kidding me, man? Or they, we would, we played kickball one time. It was like the worst decision we ever made. Um, at an all-boys camp, we played kickball, and I promise you the score was like 50 to nothing. It was like, it was bad. And so we get, you know, have worship, and everybody kneels down at the cross. And, I need to change my life. And then, you know, they go outside, and we play kickball. And the culture of these boys is like, you, talk, you trash talk, you smack talk, you, you beat your chest, you're prideful. And they'd get out there and be like, man, your game is booty. You guys suck. I cannot believe you guys even came to camp this year. You guys are so awful. You showed up to camp to get beat this bad? And I'm like, Raekwon, what in the world? Dude, you just, 
And, and then meanwhile, we got some kids that are like on the losing end of that. That never feels good. And they're just like, yep, I suck. And, you know, it's just like we just had this big, like, man, come to Jesus. He gives you this amazing identity. And then we have somebody that's like shoving people down. And, like, the whole repentance thing and the whole identity in Christ thing is just lost over kicking a ball around in a field. True repentance requires an outward manifestation of an inward spiritual reality. Because if, it, if there's no outward manifestation, then did you really come to Christ? I mean, if you ask your spouse to marry you and then you don't end up actually living together, you don't end up actually uh, raising a family together, I mean, did you really even ask? There's no change requires an outward manifestation of an inward spiritual reality. The second thing, oh, go back. There we go. It requires witnessing to God's grace. Requires witnessing to God's grace. We see in verse 7 that the king declares for others to repent with him. For, let's go back because I think we talked about sackcloth Maybe some of you need to put uncomfortable reminders. At camp, we would put, like, purple um, pieces of cloth on our wrists and on our ankles. But fasting is another way that we see an outward manifestation of an inward spirituality. We get fasting twisted a lot of times. We think uh, it's just once a year. And sometimes we do it with things that are so insignificant that it's almost worthless. And I'm not going to say what any of those are. If you feel like yours is insignificant that you do every year, then it probably is. But in this day, fasting is giving up a need of the body for a need of the soul. It's giving up a need of the body for a need of the soul. Sometimes we think, oh, well, you know, God just, God just doesn't want me to, to eat pork chops for 40 days in the middle of winter. God don't care about your pork chops. God wants you to give up a need of the body for a need of the soul. So they fast. Like we are spiritually starving to death. So we will physically starve so that we can focus on the spiritual that we need. All right. Why do we, why do we need an outward display? Because our sin is never just between you and God. If Adam and Eve's sin broke the entire universe, then how can you even possibly think that it's just between you and God? When the people who are affected by our sin see the change, they'll give you an opportunity to speak God's grace. So that gets us to witnessing to God's grace. The king declares that everybody in the kingdom needs to repent. Let's turn to Psalm 51 real quick. 51 verses uh, 12 through 13. We see this in David's life as well, that David is not content with just having his golden ticket. He wants to put more people on the train. He wants to get more people into the kingdom of God. So David says this, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. 
then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Return to me the joy of my salvation, and then I will go tell other people so that they can come to you. Not because, like, man, look at me. I came to the Lord. I'm super righteous. I wear awesome clothes on a Sunday morning. But that so other people can come to know Jesus. So where are you today? Are you joyfully obeying Yahweh? Are you reluctantly obeying Yahweh? Are you in total and absolute rebellion? I know regardless of your position, the time is now. And if you think like, man, Vince, I am nailing this joyful obedience to God. Light suggestion, subtle nudge, check your heart. Because even when we think we're nailing it, there's probably some area in our life where God like, I've been bringing my word to you 17 times every day and you're not changing. Regardless of our position, the time is now. If you're joyfully obeying God, proclaim his word. If you're reluctant or you're in total rebellion, repent. Turn to God's grace. Here's what I know from the story of Jonah. Nineveh was given 40 days to repent. And here's what I don't know. I don't know how many any of us have, how many days any of us have. I don't. I mean, some of us, we got like 17,000 days just in the bank to repent. Some of us, we got like seven. Some of us, we got hours. I don't know. But here's my question. How many more days are we willing to waste with our heart not being in tune with God's? And that might sound harsh, but that's a reality. People lose their opportunity every day to come to God because they wasted their days. Nineveh was given 40 days. I don't know how many you have, but how many more are you willing to waste? Let's pray. God, you are so good. You love us so well. You put things in emotion for us to come to you long before we even recognize it. God, it's only through hindsight at times that we truly understand how gracious and loving you are to put us in this city at the right time to put us in relationship with those people at the right time, to encourage them to invite us to church at the right time and to show up on a Sunday at the right time to hear your love and your grace and your heart for us, that you want so much more for us than just having a good time here, that you want us to be part of a bigger story, a fuller life. God, you've set things in motion years ago for this Sunday morning. God, I just ask that you would deliver on your promise. 
of grace and forgiveness, knowing that you will. God, somebody here this morning needed needed Jonah 3. And I thank you that you brought them here this morning. And I pray that they would not just sit in it, that they would not just absorb it, but God, that they would come to you, come to know you, have an outward manifestation of their inward spiritual reality. And God, that they would be a warrior for your kingdom, an ambassador for your kingdom. God, would you check all of our hearts right now? Get in there. Show us where we've been reluctant. Show us where we've been rebellious. Help us to not just push it off to the side again. Help us to really do some business with you. To give you all of our junk, to give, us, give you all of our reluctance, to give you all of our rebellion, to receive your grace, to receive your love, to receive sonship and daughtership. God, make our lives more than we could ever make them by ourselves. In your name we pray, amen.